Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Welcome to the AEW Match Guide Podcast, where we deep dive into the best matches in AEW history. Brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network and your host, Sam Brown. Yes, hello and welcome to the AEW Match Guide Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Brown. Thanks for joining me. Every week, alongside a special guest, I take an in-depth look at one of the best matches in AEW history, taken from the definitive AEW Match Guide, as ranked by over 30 wrestling commentators from around the internet wrestling community. If you enjoy the show today, you can subscribe and rate it on the podcast app of your choice, and make sure you check out all the other great shows we have on the Social Suplex Podcast Network that cover all aspects of the world of pro wrestling. My guest for today is Hey Brian, a writer for one of my favorite wrestling sites, Wrestle In, and we'll be looking at Kenny Omega versus Ray Phoenix for the AEW World Heavyweight Championship from Dynamite on the 6th of January 2021. How are you going today, Brian? I'm doing great. How are you, Sam? Yeah, very well, thank you. Thank you for for making some time to to jump on this podcast with me. I'm really looking forward to getting into this match. It's one that sort of uh, flew under the it's flying under the radar a little bit I think and uh there's a lot of really good stuff to get into so yeah looking forward to, oh, yeah. to highlighting now just as I ask all of my guests on here um because it's your first time I'm I'm curious how did you get into AEW Brian so I had been uh out of wrestling for quite a while in uh I don't know I'm thinking of what year maybe around 2016 I started getting a little bit back into it I'm a teacher and I had a student that was also into wrestling, but like much more heavily than me. So he recommended me to NXT, then to New Japan and through New Japan is how I got into Kenny Omega and the Bucks. And then from there, I followed them the whole way along until AEW came around. Nice. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's been a pretty common thread on here that uh, people sort of started getting into the, the Bucks in and the Bucks and Omega in New Japan in ring of honor and, and just sort of followed it through. And that's, it definitely seems to be the the way that most of these hardcore audiences has sort of come on board, at least. Yeah, for sure. It's a, they're a, a quick act to get into, right? They're kind of immediately yeah. <laughs> uh, impressionable on people. Yeah. Was there any was there any like particular moment that uh, thing that got into it? Was it the like the Omega Okada matches, or was it something else? So the very first New Japan matches I watched were actually. Uh, the very first one was Ricochet against Osprey in the Best oh, of yeah. Super Junior. That yep. was all kinds yep. of, uh, you know, a lot of uh, hype and a lot of critique online. Yeah. So I saw that going on. And I was pretty much only watching WWE at that point, a little bit of NXT. So that got me over. And then mm. from there, I started getting into a little more discussion with people on message boards, things like that. Yep. And I think the very next thing after that I got into was uh, trying to catch up on uh, Omega and Okada just from hearing yep. about it. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, I remember when that match happened and just everyone had an opinion on it. It was Oh yeah, and, I know. And, and I think it was a bit of a a rude shock to people who weren't watching that style cuz I know that for people I I wasn't one of them. I I was relatively new to that style at that point as well, but I remember 
people who you know were familiar with things like PWG regularly watched Ring of Honor and other indie promotions. That wasn't, I mean, it was spectacular and great, but it wasn't anything that like truly wrecked their minds. But for you know right. your your right. eye getting in from WWE and the <laughs> like, the most athletic high flyer is AJ Styles, who you know is is a great high flyer. Don't I'm not trying to knock him, but you go from that to ricochet versus osprey it's a whole other structure yeah. to everything yeah and the match where we're looking at today actually um omega versus phoenix is sort of in that that mind melting vein of uh, of style of matches so let's let's get That's into great. that match um the as we always do here giving it its flowers dave Meltzer gave this one five of the big ones five stars uh, cage match currently have it rated at 8.82 and when we did the definitive match guide earlier this year it came in 12th uh, as the 12th best match that AEW had put on uh, in its first two years of existence so high praise from those guys indeed with the actual build up to this one these two had faced off a number of times previously um, most notably in AAA in 2019 where Kenny Omega beat Phoenix to win the AAA Mega Championship uh, a belt he holds to the day of recording, um, but there is a <laughs> there is a match scheduled between now and uh, when this will probably go to air. So uh, he's he's had quite the reign. We'll just say that. <laughs> uh, and then these two, of course, also faced each other numerous times in in tag matches in AEW or even outside of AEW as well. Um, including a, a really fantastic tag title defense in early 2020 when Hangman and Omega took on the Lucha Bros. Brian, how familiar were you with the work that these guys had done up until this match? I had a lot more uh, at that point with uh, Omega. And then Phoenix, I mostly watched in Lucha Underground, which he's, I mean, one of the the two or three top people over there. And that was such a a unique place to watch him. But obviously a whole other style of things going on in Lucha Underground. Yeah, I've got a I've got a friend actually. This is a bit off topic, but um, who who just yearns for the days of Pentagon in Lucha Underground, and he constantly oh, wants yeah. Pentagon. He's he's constantly cheering for Pentagon to snap Phoenix's arm and break up the tag team because he just wants to see that act again um, in AEW. But yeah, Pentagon was something else when he was there. I know even even Phoenix. Phoenix was like kind of. Uh, he's sort of like wavered between like uh, you know heel and babyface, him and Penta, but never like that. Penta's never gotten quite to that high level of brutality, and Phoenix has never really gotten to the same level of like uh, like underdog that he is. He's he's much more of a, a top level guy than he was, I think. There, yeah, or maybe yeah. top level is the right word, but you know what I mean. Like he was always yep. kind of uh, overcoming the odds in all of his matches down there. Yeah, yeah, uh, and in in AEW, I mean, he'd been positioned as as mostly a tag wrestler. Um, he'd done right. plenty of single, a bit of singles work, and of course, these two were supposed to meet in the semifinals of the AEW Championship Contenders Tournament, um, that they held in late October uh, in the lead up to Full Gear, um, which Kenny Omega would eventually win. But of course, Phoenix, who beat Pentagon in the opening round, he suffered a concussion. Kenny Omega, of course, in the opening round, completely murked Sonny Kiss. Uh, but, yeah, as I said, Phoenix con- suffered a concussion, 
a suspected neck injury, so he had to sit out that tournament, uh, and Omega ended up taking on Pentagon. But on upon returning to AEW, Pentagon, he would reunite with Pentagon, and they were running through numerous singles and, and tag programs at that time involving Eddie Kingston, The Butcher and the Blade, Lance Archer. There was a whole lot of, of, of different webs of storytelling going on there. Uh, and while that was happening, of course, Omega would go on to um, win the tournament and then face John Moxley uh, at Winter is Coming, uh, after winning the Contenders Tournament, uh, and that is where he would properly debut this partnership with Don Callis. He would fully commit to his heel turn, and of course, he would beat John Moxley and become the AEW World Championship match. Uh, well, <laughs> World Championship match, become the AEW World Champion <laughs> at that point. Brian, how did you feel about like the positioning of both of these guys in in the lead up to this match? So uh, this is something that AEW persistently does pretty well and it's that they they the stories aren't so singular right they tie one thing to the other pretty well so you had uh, you mentioned uh kenny smashing sunny kiss at one point right going to the tournament and then yeah. eventually to set up this match with phoenix he has uh, a match with joey janela which he wins also pretty handily pack comes out you have all the the kind of like hinting back to the great match that pack and kenny had about a year before and instead, he kind of sets up the match with Kenny and Phoenix, who's you know, hadn't been beaten by Kenny Omega, was never really eliminated from the tournament. So you've got this perfect web going through a few different people, drawing a lot of stuff together. So I, I really thought it was well built. Mm. Personally, I felt like Phoenix was a little bit unfocused at this point. Um, sort of a lot of the stuff that was happening with the Lucha Bros and and Death Triangle. And as, of course, I said, Eddie Kingston was in the mix. And I, I at that time, it wasn't hitting for me. Other than I did really like the match between Pentagon and Phoenix, that was a that was right. a real a really that good match. Great. And yeah. and then of course when these two face off, that's just a match graphic that you're immediately interested in. Um, but as you said, like storyline wise for for the just for these two, as you said, like Omega he took on Joey Janela before this, which was of course the matchup he was meant to have in the first round as well. Um, Joey Janela mm-hmm. also was affected by injury and couldn't, couldn't make that. So um, he, he beat Joey Janela. And then of course, who's what's the other, un, the other string that needs to be sort of sorted out and tied up. It's, it's Phoenix. I think for, for Kenny on the, on the Kenny Omega side of things, I don't know how you felt, but I felt, I feel like he had a bit to prove going into this championship run. I'm a huge Mox fan, but I don't think like the yeah. winter is coming match really hit on, on all cylinders. It had a really great end, but I don't think like the start of it um, went, well, that's not necessarily a, a majority opinion out there. There's a lot of people who really love that match. So that that's my personal feelings on it. I don't think it's factual by any, any, any means. Uh, of course, mm-hmm. Omega had a great match with Paige, but there was still the chatter out there of, you know, the people asking, when are we going to see this new Japan wrestling God, Kenny Omega, particularly from the people right. who never actually seen that. And were starting to think, what what's this guy we were sold on? Is this really the best that he can do? Um, particularly because some people were talking up the matches with Page and with Moxley as being great, and I don't think they reached that level. Grading on a curve, I'm going to say he hadn't had a lot of single success. Like for most people, they would be incredible matches, but for Kenny Omega and right. the reputation he has, I think he went into this match with a bit to prove. Do you? What? How did you feel? I think that kind of makes sense. A lot of his, I mean, obviously there was like the really good tag run. And I, um, yeah, when you had done the match rankings, I had put Hangman and Kenny versus the Young Bucks as my top match. And I think it's still like, even looking back on it, it's, it's probably uh, sitting at my like 
one of my two or three favorite matches ever, just how many times I've rewatched it in only yeah. a, a year <laughs> and a half. Right? But that's where like a lot of his, um, a, a lot of the main storytelling with Kenny has come out of that. It was never really about like him personally, like the way it was in Japan, yeah. where this was all about journey to the top and all the steps yep. he had to go through and everything with Coda. Right. And Instead of that, we're getting the things with tag matches. We're getting some some very good singles matches, but a lot of uh, like one off things, right? Like he had the um, yeah uh, the uh, the lights out matches he had, mm-hmm. and like things like that that were sort of these like you know like couple week build side stories, very very good, but not the same sort mm-hmm. of like like Kenny Omega building things up over yeah. six months or over a year, things like that that we saw in Japan. Yeah, I think sadly, as um, Rich Ladder, who I had on a number of weeks ago now, we talked about the pack match. He sort of said with with Kenny Omega, it's hard to to get a gauge on how the audience actually feels, because that's not how I felt. Like, I feel like he had something to prove to other people, not myself personally. Um, Mm. But sometimes you don't know because Kenny Omega seems to attract some of the worst faith takes, I think, because his reputation has been so pushed up. There's people who who just purely don't like him because people have talked him up so much. And so sometimes you don't really know where people are coming from when they have these takes that, you know, Kenny Omega has something to prove or he isn't living up to the expectation people had for him. But I, I think it's, I think there's, I know there's people out there who had good faith takes that that wasn't the, that, that he hadn't hit as they thought he might have and as they had been told that he would. So, and, and certainly this was going to be his, this is the first, defense of his championship and this run is going to become something absolutely incredible and i think by now he's silenced absolutely everyone with the the idea that he can't be both the worker that he was previously and also like a a genuine north american tv wrestling draw i think he's completely silenced those critics objectively and subjectively in terms of like the the measurable metrics but also you know just subjective takes on how good his matches have been but at this point those whispers in good faith were louder than I think they would be at the end of it all. Oh yeah, for sure. And I think a lot of it stands out just because anyone that was already familiar with him knew that there was not really anything to it. Yeah. And <laughs> uh, either So like either you didn't know much about him and you're reserving yeah. your opinion or you knew what he was capable of and that's just how it was yeah. going to go. Right. That, that or or you're, or you're like, just a dickhead who, who wanted to troll people. And you just have things to say. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, look, let's uh let's get into things here. Um, let's get into this actual match. Um, because we uh have a lot of <laughs> this is a match that went a mile a minute, so we've got a fair bit. Oh, it's, to cover. it's so cool. I know. It's so <laughs> um, cool. Yeah, of course, this took place at New Year's Smash. Uh, it was delayed one week due to the Brody Lee tribute show. Uh, it started out with um Pack doing a promo in picture in picture as Ray entered. Um, I'm always down for a pack promo, so so that, that's oh, yeah. an immediate tick for me. And and then Kenny, of course, gets one of those absolutely absurd Justin Roberts introductions that he was getting at the time. Uh, I'm kind of glad they dropped that thing um, once they got back to sort of live crowds, but it, it did work in the moment. <laughs> uh, but, you know, seeing now, I feel like it was a little bit corny. What what did you think of those giant introductions that Omega was getting? He's, he had it going for a pretty good while, right? So I, I, I think the idea, right, with um, and at this match too, he still has the um, the dancers, the 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 yep. the, uh, the cleaner yeah. dancers coming out yeah, to, yeah. to uh, <laughs> you know sweep his way to the ring for him, right? So he he kind of went all in, right? The moment he gets with Callus, he goes all in on the like yep. over the top personality. Yeah. So it, it worked for that, I think, right? Yep. You, you, he made the point. Yeah, they figured yeah. out kind of other ways to make him obnoxious as they've gone along, right? Yeah. As they uh, yeah, he's, he's kept it fresh. 
yeah, as we said, this match is a mile a minute and they start off at that pace. They don't spend a whole lot of time grappling, thankfully, which is not what you want when you see these two on a match graphic. <laughs> um, you you don't buy it to see them exchange wrist locks. Uh, and as I said, it's, it's going to be impossible for me to, to say every single move. Oh, but yeah. like right from the get-go, Phoenix is hitting things at pace. Two big Harakaranas, um, throws Kenny to the outside and follows up. Um, from the apron to Kenny standing on the outside, like just straight away is is going all guns blazing. What stood out to you in the early exchanges this match? So these two guys, I, I think I, this is something I notice every time I, I watch it. And I remember this from the first couple times I watched Kenny in New Japan is he runs the ropes at such a crazy oh, pace. Yeah. So yep. hard, right? He He marks up his back every time he does it right. And then Phoenix comes in every time you see him. And he does that even faster. So these are like two of the the absolute top athletes in mm. all of wrestling going at it too, right? So it it only makes sense that they get right into everything and 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 the um, TV time limit, you know, kind of squeezes things together a little bit. So you're getting a lot of the, you know, the classic Kenny spots, but you get it all condensed into a, a, a like a super yeah. tight package. Yeah, I, I really liked how early on they just so quickly set up what the story of this match was going to be uh, in, in the ring, which is that like Phoenix has the sort of the speed and athletic edge, um, but Kenny Omega has enough to keep up, but he is the hardest striker and he has the power. And you immediately see that when Kenny's in the corner, Phoenix charges at him and Kenny is just able to dodge and then is able to to get some strikes in, which sort of sort of shows his power. But of course, Phoenix has already shown that he has the speed edge by hitting those Harakaranas early. So, and there's just this crazy spot where Phoenix like rolls over the railings to do a pop up cutter, and Omega oh, yeah. catches him in a <laughs> Snapdragon, and it's just like so seamless. You know, 99% of wrestlers couldn't pull that sort of thing off, but these guys just so flawlessly managed to to take these two really complicated moves and make them work together. Yeah, they weave those together, not only, you know, seamlessly, but on the outside too, not even in the ring. <laughs> yeah. And and early on in the match, like Phoenix, he's just like for the, the first stretch, I guess, of the match, Phoenix is just like incredible. He's just one of those guys, as you said, like he, you're talking about them running the ropes, like with Phoenix, he is one of those guys that sort of gets like an extra, 30 centimeters of air and like extra 10, not probably not 10 seconds, an extra second of hang time um, when he goes for something and, you know, almost defying gravity sort of way that he jumps around things. And then of course he's got that balance uh, on the ropes where he'll bounce between the ropes and then so easily and effortlessly launch himself off of them without there's zero wobbling. There's zero hesitation from him. He just does it like it's second nature uh, and it looks so easy. I know it doesn't seem right. <laughs> yeah. And and then, of course, like his topes, the way he just like throws himself into topes. I feel like he makes everyone else, particularly like some of the bigger guys that do topes, like a Cody or a Moxley. He just makes those topes look so, so cheap and so slow yeah. um, with the way he just like throws his body into them. The only the only person I think that that goes at them that hard uh, in AEW is probably Darby, but the yeah. fact that Phoenix is of that height and build and the kind of smoothness, he always seems to land them with the speed and impact at the same time. It's still, it's still like a step above anybody else. 
Yeah, because for a lot of people, when they do the, the topes, they'll dive through the ropes with their arms outstretched, and it's almost just like a diving push. But he'll right. go through the ropes and then curl his body around and hit hit like a an upside-down cannonball into the, his opponent, like he's, you know, yeah. just throw – well, as I said, like a cannonball, like hurling himself <laughs> like a cannonball at the, his opponent to not only push them into the, the thing but impact them with such force that it – that it hurts them just <laughs> early on in this. He's on a rip. He's on a rip. That's right. Then of course, once, once Kenny Omega manages to kind of catch up a little bit, <laughs> we get the, like a big chop exchange in the middle where Kenny gets the better of it. And he's able to even draw blood on Phoenix's chest as, as Phoenix like throws himself into the topes. Ken, Kenny is underrated in how hard he hits his strikes in this. He's- He's strong. I know he, you don't get you, you. You see it with the knees. Everybody knows it with the knees. But the way yep. he I mean, if you see what uh, not that uh, Brian Danielson doesn't frequently look like, you know, <laughs> he did. But they, uh, after the Grand Slam match, what he looked like, what Kenny did to his chest was something else. Yeah, I, I feel like, mate, you know how um, many years ago Vince McMahon like pre-cut himself so that when Kevin Owens head butted him, he would bleed. I feel like right. Brian Danielson does that on his chest for jobs. Like, <laughs> uh, he might just be he... running out of skin there at this point. I don't even know. <laughs> He's got like Ric Flair skin <laughs> on, his, <laughs> on his chest. Um, there was some uh, some interesting banter between the commentators on uh, on this match. Um, there was Excalibur, JR, Tony, and special guest Chris Jericho talking about things like the temperature like how cold it was and they're doing these massive chop exchanges, which yeah, I mean, they're like, outside at Daly's place. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and I really like, I, I like those observations and how they, how they sort of influence, well, not influence, but, but just speak to what's going on in the match. And it's, it's like real insider things you wouldn't think of. They're the kind of things that a commentator should be adding onto it. So uh, I really appreciated what That's that was. And I love uh-huh. things yeah, you can't yeah. actually speak to people. Yeah, and I love like Chris Jericho just <laughs> being Chris Jericho, claiming he's never cheated his career, <laughs> um, and also yeah, like talking about the money. I defy you to find one piece of evidence of this or something like that. Yeah, 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 and like you'd have to go back, you know, as far <laughs> as three weeks or something. <laughs> um, what What did you think of of the commentary just in general in this match? So I, I think a lot of the times it can get a little right if you have the four guys there it can get a little overwhelming but they were very careful to kind of let the action of the match dictate the uh, commentary itself right so nobody's stepping over each other Jericho uh, right from other times he's been on on rampages and when he spilled in on diamond on dynamite he could be all over the place right he can be at two hundred percent and he can also mellow out a bit so he. Uh, he kind of tones it down just enough that he's not like choking out Excalibur talking. Uh, Tony kind of lays pretty low during this match, but he still has like a few interesting things to say. So they did a really good job. Mm. Yeah, I Chris Jericho's divisive on commentary. I really like him personally, but yeah, you're what right that sometimes he's possibly a little bit much, <laughs> and possibly, <laughs> you know, walking all over the other guy. Say goodbye your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off 
my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durban Marshall credit card bill. As on commentary, I think particularly when like Mark Henry was on the desk when Rampage was just starting, like the poor bloke never got a word. Yeah, I don't think he was was quite ready to keep up with that sort of thing yet, right? It wasn't like uh, sitting next to JR who's just bouncing things back off you. Yeah. And I think also for Jericho, he's got a very high-pitched voice. And so I feel like that probably – it sits above the (laughs) the rest of the register of everyone, so it really stands Yeah, he's got that uh, that rock singing voice, right? His band – he knows what he's doing, I guess. Yeah. He knows how to work the microphone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and he's he's I'm surprised he doesn't go like his his throat doesn't hurt after screaming for two hours on a dynamite or something, but hey, he makes it that work. That might be easier than the shows he does. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um I don't know much more about Fozzie than Judas, to be honest. So I don't know what the rest no, of the I songs are like, but <laughs> I don't know. Um Yeah, as as I said, like Phoenix was really on a tear at the start of this match, um, but Omega's the one that sort of kicks it into really kicks things up a gear, like at about the the two thirds mark through this through this match. Yeah, uh, it's a really good transition, like you're saying with the chops and everything. It's just like a really clear line of like, no, I'm taking over. This match is not your style yeah. anymore. This is my way to go now. Yeah, and and as I said, like that power and the striking particularly is, is what levels things up. Uh, he like weathers that early storm from the speed that Phoenix has, but speed goes off quickly, I guess. And because he was able to weather it, he's then able to and and slow Phoenix down. He's then able to to land his more heavy hitting offense. He hits a uh, a bunch of really incredible looking V triggers. Um, there was oh, yeah. one that yeah, my favorite was the one he just like completely bended Phoenix back on top of himself. What what was your favorite out of this stanza of of things from Omega? Oh, I so uh, I don't know if it's the same point you're talking about, but I had one written down because I was just so excited about this. But I watched it like ten times. But he um he's got Phoenix kind of like wobbled in the center of the ring. He cracks him with the V trigger. Phoenix flops down, uh, hits the kip up back up to super kick Omega with like his last bit of energy, and they both go down for like a little break. But the impacts that Phoenix takes on the ground between the knee and his bump onto the ground, I can't believe how he popped back up off of it. Yeah, yeah. These, I mean, both of these guys are, are guys who, as I said, they've we've had a lot of matches before, <laughs> and and they they right. seem to both love like really laying it in, or at least they are they are so perfectly timed that we think they're really laying it in. So, yeah. Well, of each, the, I think. I think it depends. Yeah. Yeah, and of course, as we said, Phoenix does have like a last gasp of adrenaline, um, where he manages to outspeed Omega a little bit. It's like an insane suplex, but then he's taking too long to hit the frog splash that he's going for. Kenny uh, he goes up get... and does the uh, Eddie Guerrero kind yeah. of taunt at Omega. He's up yep. there for a, t- a little too long, yeah. Yeah, Kenny gets the gets the knees up and hits the tri- Tiger Driver 98, a V-trigger, and then a one-winged angel for the win. What did you think of the like the ending streak of this? It's really good. So I, I, I bet it was excellent. The, um, I don't know if it's, uh, I, I don't want to say it's missing. I think one of the things I often like in Omega's matches is he's great at mixing in these, um, sequences of reversals and, and twists and turns. But, uh, this match, he lays out a little bit different, right? They, they kind of get a lot of that in like along the way rather than, yeah. um, uh, I don't know, say like you look back to a lot of the, like a lot of the, uh, ending sequences with Okada where they're going, 
back and forth, reversing everything, twisting around, like, because yeah. they know each other's moves, right? And him and Phoenix kind of do the same thing, but instead they play it out through the whole match. So he gets to the ending, yeah. and it's just like, he turned it on all of a sudden. But for what they're going for, right, this is his first title defense. Yep. It makes a lot of sense. It's very smart that he's got to be like, when he's ready to take over, like, that's it. No one gets him. Yeah. I would have loved to seen, to have seen, like, these two doing a extended sequence of countering the one winged angel because that's such a that's a such a great move for countering any move that takes a lot of steps to set up you've got like him hoisting on the shoulders you've got him grabbing you've got him like doing the flip down it is just rife with opportunities for interesting counters and phoenix is so athletic that he would really be able to do something spectacular off that. But of course, yeah. as you said, like this, this match is actually serving dual purposes. And part of it is to really establish Kenny Omega as that like really high level and really the new boss of AEW, the new top guy in AEW. And Phoenix wasn't at it in a position where having him go 50, 50 in the ending with Omega is necessarily what you want. Like your, absolute top guy to be doing so uh, you know right it's it's here and there and as you said like they did enough throughout the match to to really get you in you got to get you it into there, it right? but also like excite and, and pump up your adrenaline yeah they uh they, it's interesting too because the um you know i watched the triple a match not the uh triple a championship match where uh, kenny won the belt from phoenix not too long yeah. ago and between uh, that one and this one, and they have the um, the three on three. I think two of them, right? There was one at Fighter Fest where they have Laredo Kid yeah. in there, yep. uh, and Kenny's with the Bucks. And between all of that, you you with everything you got between Kenny and Phoenix, um, there's definitely more to it. So like you could, this mm. is something they could definitely come back to. Like they could do another title match. They could do something else. You know, there's a lot more yeah. that they could explore. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. And just blistering pace breathtaking moves these two just work so well together these are like the absolute prime of working talent in AEW I think like on on that level you could maybe like throw pack in just in terms of pure pure workers I guess I mean the Bucks they're a tag team but particularly Nick Jackson is very breathtaking in his own right and then of course you've got some of the other seamless everything is yeah yeah, like your Darby Allen, Jungle Boy, Dante Martin, who you know will be hitting that. But in terms of the guys who are in their prime at that point, at that point, it's a small these, group. Yeah, yeah. And and I'm I, I've left out some big names like you know your your Moxleys, your Cody Rhodes, but that's because their strengths are in different things, really. And right. I don't think that's a that's not a slam against those guys. Those guys are have got other strengths, but it, it, for pure working talent, these guys are uh, the absolute cream of AEW's crop, and they really turned one on here. <laughs> oh, for sure. You could make a really legitimate argument for that either of them are the best worker in AEW, or like you could probably make a pretty compelling case either of them are the best in the world, too, depending yeah. on how you want to look at it. Absolutely. Absolutely. I feel like for twenty for 2021, Omega's, he's got to have that that kind of award <laughs> sewn up with the, the stuff he's been doing, barring you yeah. know, a late charge from Danielson, you know, and you know, maybe some other things going down. But right now, um, when we're recording this, at least, you'd think he's well and truly in the box seat for that that sort of award. I, I wanted to get into the post-match, though, because a lot of really interesting, like, shared universe storytelling 
happens here and right. a lot of things that are going to set up what's going to happen in AEW for the rest of 2021 uh, take place in the post-match. And I'd actually forgotten that all of this stuff went down after the the Phoenix match. So it was kind of cool when I went back to rewatch and, and noticed that, okay, so this is when Don Callis gets on the mic. They say they're going to end Phoenix's career, cuts to the TV and Eddie Kingston and the Butcher and the Blade have Penta and Pack tied up. Um, as we said, right. like Eddie and the Butcher and the Blade had been going back and forth with um, Death Triangle. And, and so they, you know, I guess Kenny and Don Callis had colluded with those guys to lock these guys up, which is interesting given where Eddie Kingston's going to end up in a couple of months' time. <laughs> Very quickly uh, after, at, yeah. Right. At the end of the Kenny Omega and John Moxley feud. And as Kenny Omega, speak of the devil, as Kenny Omega goes for a second one-winged angel, uh, John Moxley runs out with a barbed wire bat, uh, only <laughs> for the Good Brothers, the Impact Tag Team Champions, to intercept attacking Mox. And that broke down the forbidden door. That was the first time they had appeared on, right. on TV. And, and that was when it was like, oh, 2021 is going to be the year that we see people coming from each and everywhere into AEW after 2020 had been, you know, this closed area in Daly's place. Suddenly the yeah, they could barely keep their own talent in there. Exploding. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, um, the good, uh, the good brothers running now, that's a long way from uh callus showing up right off impact, just being, yeah. uh, you know, an on-air talent, but not in the same way as, as, you know, Kenny's buddies, yeah. two wrestlers actually coming out and doing kind of the old, old school uh, crossing the territories kind yeah. of thing. And certainly, Callus had always been linked to Kenny, but the stuff that the the Good Brothers were linked to with the Bullet Club, which we're going to get to in a second, right. is not something Callus had been linked to. So when you see the Good Brothers come out and then it starts this brawl where the the AEW talent, the face talent that are in the in the stands, see these people who have showed up from another promotion attacking John Moxley, who is like the hero of AEW at this point. They clear and they jump in and try and save Moxley, but get beaten down. And then of course the Bucks come out and help clear the ring, which culminates in all five men doing the two sweep for the first time in years. Um, right. re-establishing that Bullet Club connection, which, of course, then brings in New Japan into the equation as well as Impact. And I guess re-establishing this connection that these guys have with possibly one of the most influential and infamous factions in wrestling in the last 10 years. Probably the most, I think, between them and I The Shield, sure. yeah. uh, the most influential and well-known factions in wrestling. How did you feel when all of this happened? I was kind of like you and I, I, I had forgotten that this was all in a singular episode until I went back yeah. to watch it, which was just crazy, like how much they they packed into that show. I think like before that, so you had Kenny at that point with the AAA belts and, yep. you know, a few weeks before with the AEW championship. And that was probably when you started to hear like a little bit of chatter about like, oh, I wonder what kind of things Kenny could do. Would he go back to New Japan to yeah. try to go for him? You know, that sort of stuff. I think like it a was couple days like, earlier, like, Kota Ibushi had won the IWGP heavyweight. Right. Of course, Kenny and Kota have got that relationship. So there's yeah, a lot exactly. of speculation. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was very nice symmetry, especially with the way Kota won it. You know, what everything he went through to get to the mm. top there. Right. And then Kenny kind of doing it the opposite way, taking a shortcut with Moxley, <laughs> uh, having a, uh, two rounds of his competition. Uh, out with injuries, right? So yep. a way, a uh, very different uh, path to the top. 
And it was, uh, you know, it felt more just like, like, oh, like, wouldn't it be fun if that kind of thing happened, right? But no, one, I don't think anyone was really like actually expecting it, right? Because you kind of, mm-hmm. you, you always have those sort of things as, as uh, wrestling fans or, you know, any kind yeah. of like media where there's any kind of like big uh, corporate divide on things. You never really expect yeah. that to actually happen. And if Kota Ibushi and Kenny Omega like so much as wink at the same time, then there's going to be a certain section yeah. of the fandom that goes nuts. <laughs> it, it starts yeah, speculating he, uh, about what it means. So. He liked the tweet the other day, I think, that mentioned yeah. Kenny, and that was enough that I saw it about 100 <laughs> times on my timeline. Yeah, yeah. yeah. man. Like, when, I, I just remember seeing this and just the possibilities that it brought up were were so right. fantastic and to stage it at the start of the year i mean as we know it was going to be at the end of the year but either at this end of the year or the start of the year you know there's this idea of renewal an idea of i guess like setting the scene for what's to come and and how much of a big deal has you know this this impact connection at least initially been with kenny omega going over and winning those titles becoming the belt collector and and then of course there were other AEW talent that went over there and the good brothers would become uh, a regular staple on AEW tv in 2021 and then of course as we said bullet club has got that new japan connection within a month kenta would show up and then later on we'd see all of the the different new japan talent that would come across to interact be it like rocky romero be it the New Japan dads that John Moxley fought, Nettie Kingston fought, Minoru right. Suzuki showing, like it, it, it really was an incredible type piece of timing for when they're going to do this to like set the table for what's to come in the year. Yeah, just a few months before they get the crowds back, they, yep. you know, you get uh, travel restrictions lifted. It was just uh, like like excellent foresight, right? Like if they were going to do this, like that was just the right time for it. Yeah. Um, moving into like I guess the next por- portion where we talk about like the legacy of the match, one question that I've got is, did all of that stuff overshadow the match? Because I know, as we said, both of us, this is one that we we'd forgotten this happened at the end of the match, right. and I, I feel like this is a match that hasn't got the love that it necessarily deserves, given how good it is uh, and how mind melting it is. Do you think part of that could be what's happened in the post match? I'm not sure. Since, like you said, like personally, we'd each forgotten it. I would say, uh, to me, it hadn't overshadowed it. I don't know if that's the case in other people's minds, but I do agree that it kind of got um, uh, quite underrated sort of quickly. I was I, um, thinking about it earlier, and I was looking at some of the the ways I had like matches ranked earlier in the year, and I think at that point, or not at that point, at the point we had done the um, the uh, match ranking guide, I think yeah. it was my uh, number two match for 2021 after yep. in AEW after um, Rip Baker against Thunder Rosa. Yeah. And that lights out match. Um, but what's uh, crazy, like even at this point, just over the last few months, I think it's probably been knocked down a few pegs, at least on my own personal rankings. You yeah. have the, uh, the, the Bucks against the Lucha Bros in the cage and things like that. Yep. Uh, just some of the other crazy things Phoenix and, and Penta have been doing. Yeah. Omega Kenny's had Danielson. that match with Danielson. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's um, if anything, I think uh, it was probably kind of quickly lost in the shuffle because of all the other stuff, like you were saying. But it's probably, you know, even more so now with uh, how yeah. how excellent the uh, match quality has been lately. Yeah, um, this this was very much and I, I absolutely agree with you. Like, I feel like because it happened at the start of the year as well, uh, it, it does sort of in the match of the year stuff talk it, mm-hmm. it is easily forgotten because it was so long ago and as i couldn't said, believe it was had, this year like i was looking yeah. at the dates and everything and i was like i i 
really wasn't pegging it as 2021, even though like I know it is, but just like I was like, I can't believe that was the same year with all yeah. these other like great matches you've seen. Yeah. And I think also, I mean, this is overshadowing it in a totally different way, but I do think like wrestling was still very much grieving the death of Brody Lee at that point. You know, this was the week oh, yeah. after the That's tribute show. Of, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. so so this is it's still like fresh in people's minds. So that that seems for me like that's the big event that happened at that point uh, of the year. And even though this is this is an incredible match, it, it just I don't know it it struggles to have breathing room amongst these giant things that are happening in wrestling in general, not just in AEW, but in in pro wrestling across the board. Yeah, and I think a lot of, like, if you're looking back that far in the year, like, you're probably, like, we had brought up earlier, you're looking back to, like, Wrestle Kingdom and things like that yeah. if you're looking for, like, early contenders yeah. Uh, yeah. with all and, the, you know, you a lot of great stuff. That was just a week before. And this is very much a TV match as well. Like, it's not, it is, as we said, it's sort of truncated. You didn't have that big extended finishing right. sequence that they probably could have done if they wanted to, but they didn't because they've got other things they need to do uh, with the time that's allotted to this segment. Uh, so... I guess a fair comparison would be like, how does this compare to the other pantheon of really great AEW TV matches, um, singles TV matches? Like, you know, you've got your Puck versus Omega, of course. Danielson mm. versus Omega comes to mind immediately as well. In in my mind, I'm thinking this is a very different kind of match, two very different kinds of matches, but also Eddie Kingston versus Brian Danielson and Another one that I love and will just ride so hard for is John Moxley versus Darby Allen, which is a, a singles match. It's very different to this one, but I think it's fantastic. What, it's where do you think yes. it ranks amongst those ones? And are there other ones that kind of spring to mind when you're sort of looking at where Omega versus Phoenix ranks? Yeah, it's got to be up there. Like it, like I was saying earlier, I think at um, at one point in the year, it was probably uh, my second favorite mm. TV match this year, and then if you if you extend back to like the beginning of Dynamite, uh, you've got stuff like I, I, this is another one I think that kind of gets uh, forgotten about. But um, Nick Jackson and Phoenix is another yep. like truly yep. incredible. I think it's only around 12 minutes, but just yeah. like wall to wall excellence, yeah. you know, set pieces and yeah, that's and the closest it. thing it's Phoenix will get to re- to ever wrestling himself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just like, like two absolutely like seamless wrestlers that mm. never stop moving the entire time. It's it's unreal that they could uh, be that quick and that exciting and also uh, basically never mess anything up. I don't know how they do it, but it's it's really it's up there. Like there's there's like a handful that kind of muddle together. But between that, you've got, you know, Rampage on for TV matches now, too. And yep. You know, even stuff like you have Danielson and Minoru Suzuki wrestling yeah. on YouTube uh, <laughs> Crazy. recently. And it's it's, you know, I don't want to say it's not like deserving of being in the top, but it's I I wouldn't yeah. blame anyone if it like, say, dropped yeah. out of their top. And just because of the the uh, quality of a lot of other stuff that's been yeah. around. I think I guess part of it is just like this. The fact that this match isn't necessarily on the tip of everyone's tongue. Uh, is not because it's at all bad, and I don't think anyone would say that. I think it's just we're spoiled in AEW. Yeah, like exactly. watching That's AEW, we are spoiled with with incredible matches, and particularly even looking at the performers, like looking at Kenny Omega, looking at Phoenix. Like we are spoiled with incredible matches that these guys participate in. So right, it's maybe a lack of uh, a lack of like a you know you have like a pretty a decent quick build over the course of a few weeks, and it does yeah. call back stuff from 
yeah. from weeks and even from the month before there's some like excellent like yeah. callbacks as they're getting the story together. but it's yeah. not like um like moxley and kenny where they had been going literally since yeah. like the beginning of aew it's not like that yep. kind of thing or hangman and kenny yeah. which has been going since uh before the beginning of aew it's yeah. not like that sort of a story where um you know you're getting constant reminders about it right like if uh if we got a, a, another round of um, uh, Kenny and a tag team going against the Lucha Bros, yeah. or if uh, either Penta yeah. or Phoenix came back around to challenge Kenny for something later on, yeah. then I think you might get people reaching back to this one and being like, oh, yeah, like, remember how great that was? Well, well, let's yeah. look back at that one. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I don't have a lot much, a lot, a lot more to say. I think, uh, as we've said, like, this is a, a tremendous match that probably hasn't got the love it necessarily deserves for but be, just simply because we we are so spoiled as fans of AEW and you know what a what a great thing to be able to say um yeah. and uh, you know it was it was really fun for to to go back and looking at this look at this match so I, I do appreciate you you picking this one out of the out of the list before we before we go did you have any finally did you have anything to add uh, and if not where where can people find you Brian um, so you can find me uh, writing for WrestleIn, WrestleIn.com. You can find me on Twitter at Hey underscore Brian. And uh, anything I uh, anything I write about, I'd post on there. Yep, definitely, definitely check that out as well. Uh, and as you know, you can find me uh, at Sir underscore Samuel. Uh, if you want to come and talk about this match, I would absolutely love to. Uh, and of course, you can find this this podcast every Friday on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. If you did enjoy this episode, I'd love to hear about it. Um, I'd love if you could review the podcast uh, and, of course, subscribe to it. And, you know, while you're at it, why not tell a friend, tell someone else um, to to come listen to us and come share in the love. Uh, Brian, it's been really fantastic having you on here. Thank you for making time uh, for me today. Uh, I really do appreciate it. And thank you to the good people out there for, for listening in. Uh, I appreciate each and every one of you, and I will see you again next week. Thanks for listening to the AEW Match Guide podcast. If you enjoyed the show, then you can subscribe on the podcast app of your choice so you never miss an episode. Also, feel free to let me know on Twitter at Sir underscore Samuel. I'd love to hear from you. The AEW Match Guide podcast is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network, where you can find many other fantastic podcasts discussing not just AEW, but all parts of the world of professional wrestling. Looking forward to seeing you again next week. I'm Sam Brown. credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.